word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in the state and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, Nahai Raimo continues. It's February, and that means National Haiku Writing Month, as we team up with KJZZ's The Show to bring you our second annual haiku writing contest. We kick off the show with a Canadian haikuster whose travels brought him to Arizona to write. I got a AAA catalog of traveling through Arizona. And I showed my wife and said, this is something we might want to think about. Plus, we continue our expansion into the region with haiku from neighboring New Mexico. I think that haiku is really much, much trickier than many people give it credit for being. And then we bring it back home for some haiku in the valley. I don't have an idea of the haiku when I sit down. I just have the words that I want to work with. But first... Wealth of opportunities. Ambitious legislation. Powerful people. That was an haiku called Burgundy, written and read by Dr. Cassandra Smith and submitted for the KJZZ Haiku Writing Contest, which ends February 27th. You can record one like hers on the KJZZ mobile app. Just search in the sidebar for Open Mic, or you can just enter yours online at haiku.kjzz.org. And now, on with the show. Well, if you didn't recognize it, that was part of the national anthem from Canada. And Marshall Richuk is a Toronto-based writer with an Arizona connection, like many Canadians, in fact. Unlike many, he's an award-winning poet who specializes in haiku. Among his many publications, Marshall is author of the book From Arizona to Crete, which contains multiple examples of the art form. He joined me via Skype recently, and I wanted to know at the outset of our conversation how he became devoted to the art of haiku. You know, I was chasing butterflies in a field next to a supermarket when I was seven, and I used to spend all days on summers between seven and nine years old. If I wasn't playing baseball, I would just walk around by myself, and I got really close. You know, it's not nature nature as raw nature, but I really got more comfortable with being in fields and being alone than I did with people. And, you know, I get along with people, but uh, I feel more like myself, and I felt that the larger whole was nature, and that the human world was a very small part of that, and I felt more comfortable with the larger whole. So when I started writing when I was 18, uh, 1969, actually, it was probably still 18 in 1970, I wrote longer poems first, but I wrote some poems that weren't really haiku, but they expressed my feeling for nature, and I found a book in my mom's library by Alan Watts called The Way of Zen. And I looked, read that voraciously and said, hey, this is what I w- was doing when I wrote those short poems. So I, to me, I discovered nature and then discovered haiku as a way of, of involving myself with nature. That's fascinating. I've talked to numerous people, you know, and I'm always interested in 
as to how they get interested in the art form of haiku. So haiku is about making a one molar piece of snowflake or raindrop, which then leads to everything else being composed. So you want it to be short and small because you it's a gesture and then you want to give it, you know, you don't want to take 45 lines. You want to, because that starts to build your own world. Mm-hmm. You want to show that our world is just a transfer point from nature to eternity and back. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've crossed the paths of numerous people who got introduced to haiku specifically as their first form of poetry, maybe in even in elementary school, and that was kind of their sense uh, of poetry, and then it just left them yeah. for one reason or another. I, you know, I don't mind that they use the 575 to get them introduced, uh-huh. and I'm glad that the haiku teachers do that. When I speak to Japanese haiku poets, they're amazed at how long an English-language haiku is. Right, So right. I say um, it's a... A poem about nature, one metaphor long, but it should be shorter than 15 syllables. The way to define it for me is always to try to define things in terms of nature instead of humans. So I would say it's a poem about nature, two cardinal songs long. Right. And, you know, we have a specific offshoot of haiku called Sinru that focuses a little more on human nature. And we've explored that uh, in previous programs here on Word. One of the things that we wanted to talk to you about specifically is your connection to Arizona. You're from Canada, from Toronto, I'm is that right? Canada. My wife was born in Long Island and raised there. Okay. And I, you know, I was, I'm a publisher and distributor of books, especially poetry in Canada. And so our big box store sales bonanza was 2000 and 2001. And then, of course, through 2002 and 2003, we got these humongous returns of unsold books, which is allowed. And they often throw in books that they don't know where they go, so they would send them to other people. And I got a a AAA catalog of traveling through Arizona. And I showed my wife and said, this is something we might want to think about. And then in 2004, I was checking to see if my own voice message was working. And my wife answered the phone and I said, why are you there? <laughs> Why aren't you at work? <laughs> and she said, oh, I'm quitting. We're going to Arizona. Oh, wow. So she sprung <laughs> so, it on you. <laughs> uh, that kind of decided it. But it's a, if you really, I really believe I write about brute nature, although people think, well, you don't really experience, you know, the tigers and lions directly. But I have seen a mountain lion and I have had a golden eagle chase me. So I feel that there's some contact. I realize people think it's romantic that I think nature is uh, my friend. But I really do believe that. And uh, I think they think I'm their friend. And that really matters to me. Arizona is amazing because the nature, it's so dry, so you're not going to be rained out. we got some windy days, but, and it's, it's magnificent. <laughs> By looking at your book, which is called From Arizona to Crete and a collection of haiku, and, I, and I, because of the spacing in the manuscript that you gave me, I didn't see the actual publication, right? But right. You were, Right. You were uh, graceful enough to, to loan me this. So I'm not sure if this is the full haiku, but here it is. Uh, road twists to Sedona. Rock hewn red as if polyps of sandstone. Now That's, that's right. That's pretty clear that's to me because I've, I've been to Sedona. But I wondered if you could sort of describe what was going through your mindset there. That's interesting. I, I often... I. Wrote a lot outdoors when I started writing. In fact, I probably didn't write an indoor poem until after I was 25 because I like being outdoors so much. And I used to sit on the Hamilton Brow. It, it reminded my Italian grandfather of Naples. 
and I looked out on the bay in Hamilton, and I'd think of the hotel, there sparse hotel buildings, and I would think of them as being polyps that were being added to by the by the centuries. And so this, the the beauty of that winding road, and my wife was driving, I don't drive, she was driving a little white Corolla at about 20 miles per hour. Right. And I couldn't believe it. Some people wanted to go 30, so we would just pull over. <laughs> and it was sure. great. I was the passenger, and I'm just looking at these, you know, fabulous things that, and the road was twisting around them. Like we, you know, we weren't adding to it, but we were kind of participating in the statuesque nest of those uh Hills, mountains. Right, right. That's a great it's, description. See, I, I actually didn't have anything done yet. And uh -huh. then I, um, Karen was taking pictures by, I think it's called the Platte River. Oh, okay. And I sat down beside it. And after I wrote, the way passing cars become wind in the pines beside this river. And that just released like a gush of feeling close to nature again. And I wrote about 15 from memory after that one. Yeah, you know, I have found that to be extremely helpful as well sometimes. Um, I, I might think of a line or two, but snapping photos and then going back to them later on is very helpful uh, because at least maybe you've captured some of the memory that you had while you were thinking of a line of poetry. Um, yeah. You know, Marshall, there was an, another one that I really like that starts out talking about water drops, and I don't want to reveal too much, but I understand you have your manuscript there in front of you, and maybe you could read it in your own voice for us. The water drops cross my face. First greetings from the Tonto Natural Bridge. And we like to read them twice. Water drops cross my face. First greetings from the Tonto Natural Bridge. And the reason the Japanese read them twice is you read them once for the sound, and it kind of sounds like a bird, and then after you've got some sense, but you have the sound ringing in your ear, they read it again, and then you can get the full sense of it. And I don't understand Japanese, right. but I still like doing that in English. Right, right, right. I, I do, too, and because I feel it, like, you know, it's a short poem, yeah, and sometimes yeah. it, it takes a couple of times, maybe three times or four times to really yeah. sort of sink in. How, how much do you struggle with reading these live, if you will, in front of an audience because they are so short? I don't struggle at all. I, I get up there and I smile. I read in a bar. If they want to bang their glasses or talk, that's okay. I read them twice. And uh, if, I have, if I don't like them, I haven't written them down. And I'm sure not going to read them. Sure. But if I like it, like statues to greet the holy, Colorado silt, water, sun, wind shapen. Statues to greet the holy, Colorado silt, water, Sun, wind shapen. You know, that's sometimes people pick up their ears from their drinks and listen. Yeah, I wondered how you dealt with that reaction. I've always just felt like, okay, silence in the room. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, well, I... I <laughs> and I uh, guess in some ways, especially... I'm everybody's favorite reader because yeah. I, I make it clear I'm not really trying to communicate sideways with people. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. write these to communicate with the natural condition I'm in. right. And then I, I, if I feel I've met that and I've got something back from nature from writing that, uh, they can share it with me. Uh -huh. well, so well, I'm not everyone's, but when I read, the, the room goes silent. And that, that, that itself is a, is a fabulous uh, thank you to me. Well, that's just what I was going to pick up on because in Japanese culture, silence is the highest form of appreciation. Yeah. Well, and I'm not suggesting that a lot of your audiences would necessarily know that. 
But no, just to but... give a modern parallel, when George Lucas took Star Wars over there and the film was finished, the audience yeah. sat in silence and he was stunned. He was like, oh, my God, <laughs> they hate it. And someone had to explain to him, no, you don't yeah, understand. Yeah. This is yeah. the highest reverence that they could, an audience could possibly well, that's really, pay that's you. That's really nice. Yeah. And then the other, the other wonderful thing they can say is when they tap you on the shoulder and say, uh, I'm becoming Western and you're more Japanese than I am. <laughs> and that's really nice, too. Here's another one I really like. Wisps of smoke. Oh, yeah. Between black mountains, purplish earth. I feel like yeah. that is deceptively simple because I can see all of that happening before my eyes. It has a real, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it has permanence to me, something that is everlasting if I suppose we treat the planet a little bit better in the future. Well, yeah, the, I was going to say um, one of the ways I relate to 2020 with other poets is through leading Renku. Maybe you could just well, talk about the difference between Renku and just, Haiku. Um, first of all, it emphasizes listening in a way that if we listen to nature, uh, we would live and write differently and treat nature a lot better. And uh, haiku comes out of an experience of nature. And Renku tries to return to that, but a very human, almost conversational language. Listening matters a lot. And listening, you know, letting yourself, letting your right brain go with association, letting me be your left brain as the leader. And then I, by doing that, I find that when I look at the thing afterwards, my right brain has been working at getting it together as a whole anyway. So it's, it's also an experience for me, but it's certainly the most uh, salient way I work with other poets and other people because I, <laughs> as you might have gathered, I'd, I'd rather be walking in the woods by myself. Well, what's interesting is you strike me as both a deeply contemplative person, but also a great conversationalist as well. And I, I think sometimes for the art form to succeed and to continue, not that I see it personally stopping anytime soon, but you, you sort of need both. Um, and so I want to ask you then on that thread, what do you think people in the modern era can learn from haiku? What's its value in 2020? Well, if I had one word, I would say humility. Mm -hmm. especially humility before nature and and the whole universe and I, I don't have no problem using the word eternity like uh, we're here we're so infinitesimal in the universe and we're here such a brief time and I, I don't mean to offend anybody but paradise is already here why waste it you know scavenging and digging and smashing up the earth and um, making margin and profit of uh, other people and a haiku sort of shows you what you, it's, it, it's conversational language, it's not special language, but it is contemplative, and it gestures back to what is so much larger, and I think, if you like, happier or maybe more beautiful than we are. Well said. Marshall, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking about the art oh. of haiku and sharing some pieces of your work from Arizona to Crete with us. Thanks very much, Tom. You're welcome. You can find Marshall Richuk's work online. More details about him are on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. Word.
KJZZ is investigating your questions as part of a reporting project called Q&AZ. When the four peaks turn white in the winter, it's not only pretty to look at, it's also a good sign for our water reserves. You won't find any billboards along the Loop 101 through Scottsdale. That's because that city outlawed billboards in 1970. Some of ADOT's witty warnings are posted in other states, and others have been noticed by celebrities. If you're curious about our state, you can ask a question at qaz.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Scott Wegerman is an Albuquerque, New Mexico-based poet who's been writing haiku for many years. I was able to catch up with him on the phone recently and began our discussion by asking him when his poetic sensibilities began focusing on haiku. I came to haiku kind of later than other forms because it was just so short and I... I mistakenly thought it was, you know, kind of simple and too easy. That, you know, it was the kind of thing that you're taught in elementary school to write, you know, five, seven, five. You know, if you you could write three lines of anything, as long as it came up to the 17 syllables, you had a haiku. I really kind of went with that for so long, the way I had been taught, but clearly... I have discovered that's not even true, that it needs to be 17 syllables, much less does anything go. I discovered haiku actually has many, many, many rules, and it's a different kind of poetry from other forms, which tend to be longer and a little more verbose. It took me a while to get into what's often called the haiku mindset, But I kept trying, and I kept working at it. I want to go back to something that you said about what you thought it was, and then after you studied it and what it sort of became in your own writing. Because I meet people all the time, and it seems like there's really no in-between. There's folks whom I would call purists who sort of say, it's 575, it's 17 syllables, that's it, three lines. And then there are other people that are like, well, hey, have you ever read Jack Kerouac or listened to Allen Ginsberg or read his work? They write haiku, and they're not strict on form. So what do you make of that? I think it's a, it's a result of poor teaching in, in the schools. Mm-hmm. I, I think that English teachers think, you know, they don't, my experience, I have an experience, I was a high school librarian for many years before I retired. And my experience is that English teachers generally don't like to teach poetry. Right. And generally that's because they don't know a lot about it. They've never really studied it. So to them, I think haiku is an easy form to teach. And, you know, if you can count syllables and three lines, you can do it. But Uh, that really doesn't make it a haiku. (laughs) One of the things I really find very different about haiku, too, is it's such a global thing. Right. I read haiku all the time from people all over the world when I don't see that that much in other literary journals. Right. It's really refreshing. I wish, you know, it, it was receiving a little more literary recognition by the literary establishment than it is, but mm, we're getting there. I think so too, and that's part of the purpose of this particular program. I guess if I would simplify it for people, it's sort of like a comparison between apples and oranges. 
what yeah. you know what are the similarities maybe what sometimes then are the differences as well but the issue is by focusing on the juxtaposition what does this thing mean against you know or compared to this thing directly and so you seem to be indicating there that too many people are simply focused on the syllable counts and the number of lines exactly right. exactly you know they might even have it it might even be nature related but often it's it just stops at a nice little description not really something that makes you focus on the moment and think about it and try to figure out what's going on there. I, I think that haiku is, is, is really much, much trickier than many people give it credit for being. You know, the comparison that I made to previous guests is sort of like haiku can often be like a crossword puzzle for those who are just word enthusiasts. And so you, right. you have to get the right word. It's the focus on the right word choice. As you indicated, you don't have a lot of time to waste time. Do you happen to have a haiku handy or a couple of them that you could share with our audience? Okay. Here is the latest issue of Frog Pond, which is the haiku journal of the Haiku Society of America. And I have a poem in it, and here it is. Skipping stones, small offerings to the riverbed. Skipping stones, small offerings to the riverbed. How about another one for us? I have a, a Red Moon anthology here. And I don't know if you or your readers are aware of those. It's in a... It's an anthology that comes out once a year. My shadow, the height and width I always wanted. <laughs> Scott, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about haiku during this National Haiku Writing Month. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you. Scott Wiggerman is one of the organizers of the Poets' Picnic, an annual event in Albuquerque on May 23rd, 2020, at the Open Space Visitor Center. The event includes an haiku hike and a writing workshop that results in the publication of a chapbook. You can find Scott's work online. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Some people think that smart speakers are a futuristic surveillance device straight out of George Orwell, constantly monitoring you as you engage in your most private actions and conversations. Well, they are. But did you know they're also a radio? That's right. You can ask your smart speaker to play NPR to hear your local station and all your favorite NPR shows. And it will. It will also report you to the central ministry. But why not enjoy yourself while you still can? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Christy Garbushian is a valley poet and writer who maintains a blog called That Asian-Looking Chick. She's an haiku enthusiast, and I began by asking if she finds it hard to carve time out for writing in an era that seemingly begs for short attention spans. Not really, but I do have to make a conscious effort because I do have the computer in front of me all the time. And the Yahoo homepage is always there with the headlines. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's nonstop, right? And, yeah, and it's just never good. <laughs> so it's hard to keep my mind from going in directions where it's just not conducive to writing. But So it is a discipline. But when I set my mind to it, I can do that. Were you one of those people that picked up writing very early in life? Or 
did it take a while for you to get interested in writing? I've always enjoyed writing. I wrote stories when I was little. They were not good, but they were <laughs> it was writing <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> and I wrote poems in high school. And I was in the military, and I was writing poems in the military. <laughs> I knew I wanted to go to college and major in English because of my love for writing. But I didn't have an idea of where I was going after that bachelor's degree. And then it became obvious that I, I really wanted to study writing, so I went into the MFA program. Have you been here in the Valley for a long time? Since 1991. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a transplant. Brand new, practically. I mean, if you count two years. Um, but sort of a similar course in life. I got interested in poetry, specifically in high school, and just had a really good teacher. One of the main reasons why we wanted to talk to you today is because of National Haiku Writing Month. And I don't know, have you ever heard of that before? No, I haven't. How about National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo? Yes. Okay, so that's basically what this month is patterned after. A poet from Washington State actually started it a decade ago. This is the 10th year of what he calls Nahai Raimo, or National Haiku Writing Month. And so the way that he started it was, I believe, on a website at first and then moved to Facebook. And basically he puts up prompts. Uh, another guest haiku enthusiast put up prompts each day. And then it's just, you know, sort of open to the social network community to kind of craft what they think that particular prompt means. And so the reason why we wanted to talk to you was because of your interest in haiku. Was that a form that you also began to enjoy at a younger age when you first started writing? No. How did you come to like that form? While doing my studies at, in the MFA program, we had to study various forms. So, of course, that was one. And I think in high school, too, of course, you learn the various basics of haiku. Sure. And so I was familiar with it, but I never made a discipline of writing it until probably a few years ago. I just started crafting uh, words into lines in accordance with a 17-syllable form because the words were interesting to me and I wanted to form images. Do you find it hard, having written longer pieces, to compact language into that short, as you say, 17-syllable format? Actually, no. When I'm sitting down and I have that format in my mind, it just becomes a game almost mm -hmm. to try yeah. to come up with an image to fit that. Right. You know, and it's... Um, the economy of words I kind of enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know how your creative process works. For me, sometimes I just sort of hear lines, and often they come out in five or seven syllables, and so I'll have like a piece of a haiku dancing around in my brain, or maybe I'll jot that line down on a napkin or scratch a piece of paper. What is your creative process like? Do you bring things like that into your haiku writing, or do you approach it as, hey, I'm sitting down here, I'm going to write a haiku, and this is what it's about. Actually, I start with a word, and I really love words, and to me, they're a medium, as they are to poets in general, and I don't have an idea of the haiku when I sit down. I just have the words that I want to work with, and I'll wait till I have you know, a small page full of different words, and then 
I'll start counting the syllables and joining them together. And then, you know, as I do this process, it's almost like a game. And then an image will start to form and a concept will start to form. And I'll structure the sentences around that, the little collection of words. And as the process goes on, I really get an image of, you know, what it is I want to say. And by the time I'm done, the sort of juxtaposition that occurs in a haiku has happened organically, even though these words I started with were random. So I don't begin with an image at all. I'm just playing with words mm-hmm. and then playing with syllables. That's one of the fun, I think the most fun parts about poetry is just the word experimentation. Not unlike trying to fit the right word into a crossword puzzle often. I find it kind of similar in that regard. As far as subject matter, is there anything that you keep finding yourself coming back to, a similar subject for haiku, or pretty much all over the map for you? It's all over the map. Do you remember a particular haiku poet that might have influenced you? Is there anyone that you could think of off the top of your head? No. I'm almost ashamed to say that I'm unfamiliar with most of the body of work of Uh haiku. I know for me, um, one of the first ones I remember, and I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying in school early on, you know, we sort of learned the major forms and uh, Basho's haiku about a frog jumping in the pond uh, was one of the first ones I remember. But I can also remember very early on taking a lot of liberties with what, you know, most people would say, okay, there's a standard three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, and that's it. You know, no deviations. Do you like to experiment with the format at all? I have not done that so far. I, I, le- I kind of like the, um, the challenge of sticking to the 575. Yeah, some structure yeah. gives you kind of what we call a raft to swim to um, in writing circles, um, particularly when you're coming up with endings of stories, for instance. But I think it also works in poetry as well. It's like, okay, I have something here to work with that at least if I have no idea what this poem is going to be about, I know how I might be able to structure it and that might kind of get it out of my brain, if you will. So as far as the haiku that you have written, (laughs) is this something that you have felt like you were proud enough of to actually put into various anthologies or into a blog or something like that? I enjoy sharing the images I come up with. And so I have put them in my blog. Where could we find uh, your work if folks are interested in checking it out? So I do write in the blog. It's thatasianlookingchick.com. <laughs> How did you come up with that? Well, someone else came up with it a long time ago. Okay. And it just kind of stuck with me. I thought it was funny and you know, and it's just, when I was thinking of a name for my blog, I thought, well, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I couldn't think of one, so I went with that. What is your ethnic background, if you don't mind me asking? So my mother was Japanese and my mm-hmm. father was English. Okay. Um, did your mom at all inspire uh, your attitudes towards the art form? Because obviously most people, when they think of haiku, they do think of Japanese culture, <gasps> Japanese art, for instance. No, um, I was adopted. Okay. And I was adopted into a Japanese American family. Gotcha. But they were not, um, they're not into the arts gotcha. at all. I have found numerous people in writing circles and various communities all over the world 
who had, for instance, professional jobs in something diametrically opposed to writing, but sort of later in life became writers, uh, particularly in the field of technical writing. And Michael Dylan Welch, who started uh, Nahai Rimo, actually was a technical writer. Um, poetry has kind of taken over for him. But he was the author of one of those early uh, dummies guides, like uh, DOS for Dummies and things like that. And so I always found have found that interesting how folks arrive at becoming a writer, not necessarily professionally. Do you remember the first time that you ever tried to write a haiku? I suppose I was required to write haiku, maybe in high school, maybe in college, but I honestly don't remember. My studies as a graduate student were involved with longer forms, lyrics in longer forms, touched on narrative poetry here and there. You kind of do a little bit of everything. Right. But I don't remember having to write haiku at that level either, although we did learn about it. Sure. So I think it was interesting, you know, for me it was interesting to come to it eventually on my own outside of the classroom because it was completely different. One of my favorite offshoots of haiku is what's called sinuru, which is more of a focus on human nature. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that particular form, but it considers that humans are a part of nature, and so sometimes they're often comical as a result. Um, have you ever experimented with that side of the haiku aisle, as it were? No. Okay. I haven't. Not yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, it's always interesting to me um, when when I talk about this with folks, because I had never heard of that until really just a couple of years ago, and I was sharing some of my haiku with a person who's not a professional professor, but I consider them a professor. And he says, gosh, you know what you're doing here? I was like, I mean, kind of modeling some some previous writers that I admired. And he's like, this is an offshoot of haiku. It's a specific thing. And I was really surprised to learn that about myself. And so I'm always curious how other people pick apart the art form or if they just kind of leave it alone and say, okay, this is, you know, something that I, I don't really want to experiment with that much. You know, besides some of the things that you've mentioned that attract you to the art form, do you have any sense of why it might be popular? I, I feel like it is a popular art form. I feel like in terms of when you ask people about poetry who may have no background in studying it, that's one of the first things that leaps into their mind is haiku as a poem. Mm -hmm. Do you have any sense of why that might be? As you mentioned, people like shorter forms of poetry. People who are not um, accustomed to reading poetry tend to be intimidated by poetry. They feel that they have to, like they're obligated to know, you know, or explain or analyze what's going on in that poem. So to sit before three lines, I think, is less intimidating. And you can um, allow yourself to read those words and recognize the image that emerges from them. That's a really great observation. I think you're right. For whatever reason, people assume, hey, there's only one interpretation to this particular poem, kind of like a song in some ways, like, oh, this is what this song means. Well, if you didn't grow up as you, maybe it means something different to someone else. And I think sometimes, too, haiku can be deceptively simple. 
but I think you're you kind of hit the nail on the head there that with only three lines, people don't have to deliberate a whole lot. It doesn't hurt their brain, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so they can kind of come to this popular art form and delve into it for a little bit. Christy, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about your love of writing and specifically haiku. Thanks so much for coming to Word. Thank you for having me. Christy Garbushian is currently working on a novel. You can read some of her work on her blog entitled That Asian-Looking Chick. And that'll do it for this episode of Word. Find links on our website at word.kjzz.org. Send us a comment via the email link. And don't forget to enter KJZZ's second annual haiku writing contest by going to haiku.kjzz.org. Hurry, the contest expires February 27th. And you can even record your haiku by using the open mic feature on the KJZZ mobile app, which is downloadable. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks for listening. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word from the KJZZ Studios in Tempe, Arizona. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org.